Every person deserves to be treated with dignity. This is true both in life and in death. But after someone dies from COVID-19, it can be really hard to give them dignity. When someone dies of COVID-19, they can't have loved ones around them. Their death is expected, but family can't be there to say goodbye. And in places where funeral homes and crematories are unable to cope with the surge in fatalities and care for victims' remains in a timely manner, the grief process of the family is put on hold as well. You're listening to Pandemic COVID-19. I'm Maxfield Rivers, IKEA lover, Aries, and host of this podcast. Today we're going to talk about death investigations, the crises facing funeral homes and crematories, and what one man is doing to help. I do have a couple of updates, though. First, I'm moving to a once-weekly posting schedule because this is a lot of work. Second, here are the newest numbers from the World Health Organization and the CDC. As of March 13th, there are 4.17 million confirmed cases of COVID-19 globally and 287,000 deaths. In the U.S., as of today, there are 1.36 million confirmed cases and 82,000 deaths. But due to limitations in testing, as usual, these numbers are low. With all of that, let's take a deep breath in and let it out. Nobody wants to talk about death. It's taboo in our culture. But death is being thrust in our faces during this pandemic, and so it's important to understand what's going on for people whose jobs revolve around death. I need to be clear, yes, I did kind of use this episode as an excuse to talk to Dr. Melanek and Dr. Pennepin. But what's said in this episode isn't just gratuitous morbidity. Beyond trying to normalize discussion of death and alleviate our fears, I'm hoping to show you how important it is that people's remains are treated well. COVID-19 is preventing that from happening. My first guest on this episode is Dr. Judy Melanek. She's a forensic pathologist at the Alameda County Sheriff Coroner's Office, expert witness, lecturer, author, and more. Before I get into how COVID-19 is impacting her field, I needed a quick explanation of how forensic pathologists are different from coroners. I've been confused about this for a while. Coroners are elected officials and usually receive no training. So are they the ones doing autopsies? A coroner's office is run by a law enforcement officer like a sheriff or an administrator, and it's not run by a doctor. And a medical examiner's office, the head of the office, is a physician, usually a forensic pathologist. So in all cases, it is forensic pathologists, people with uh, specialty training in doing autopsies, that are performing the autopsies, but the administrative structure might be different depending on what jurisdiction you're in. Okay, so rest assured, people whose remains end up in either system are handled with utmost care. But during this pandemic, what safety precautions are death investigators taking to avoid getting sick? So what we've recommended at this point is that our death investigators and police as well um, try to maintain social distancing even at work. So we've uh, reconfigured tables or seating arrangements in such a way that we can uh, keep officers away from one another (laughs) for one uh, step. And then also if they're going to be uh, called out to a scene, for instance, to try to respect that six foot distance between themselves and the public when they're doing their job. Now, obviously, sometimes it's going to be a little difficult. Um, 
it, depending on what tasks they uh, have to do. And our investigators are all given personal protective equipment, such as N95 respirators, so that if they have to enter someone's home uh, where there's a dead body, for instance, or talk to the family in an indoor place where they can't maintain that social distancing, they're uh, physically protected with a barrier such as a mask and um, a face shield. Um, so that's how we're handling that. But you have to also understand that most COVID-19 deaths, the majority of them, are not going to come to the medical examiner. The medical examiner or the coroner uh, investigates death when the death is sudden, violent, or unexpected. And most people who die of COVID-19 don't die suddenly and violently. They're ex considered expected deaths because they've been sick for a while. So they've either been seen by a doctor or gone to the hospital. They might die in the hospital, or even if they die at home, usually they already have a diagnosis because they've been um, seen or they've had symptoms, okay? So many of those cases can be handled by the doctors who have diagnosed COVID-19 in the field, meaning either in the hospital or in the home environment where they've been seen by a doctor and diagnosed and then they were just sent home um, and happened to die at home. So we won't necessarily bring those bodies in for examinations. We only could encounter COVID-19 in the context of people who die suddenly and don't know that they were infected. May, may not have been aware of it, or they were aware of it, but they didn't have access to medical care because they were poor or marginalized, um, homeless, drug users, things like that. If a COVID-19 victim's remains do end up in the coroner or medical examiner's office, what might a pathologist see in autopsy? Well, the death investigators go out to the scene. So in terms of the symptoms that they would be asking about or that people would be complaining of, the most typical ones are um, shortness of breath and chest pain uh, and uh, upper respiratory symptoms like a cough. Usually it's a dry cough that is unrelenting. <laughs> and um, they will also potentially have symptoms. People might have symptoms that they're losing the, their sense of taste or smell. That's not unusual. Um, or they can have uh, extreme fatigue, body aches, headaches, things like that. So those are what the, the symptomatology is that death investigators would be asking about. Now, what a pathologist might see at autopsy can be uh, anywhere from having a really bad pneumonia with uh, lungs that are uh, full of fluid and inflammation so that they actually look more like liver than like lung. Um, they can also, under the microscope, have uh, blood clots, small, sm small clots in uh, teeny blood vessels. And in the sacs of the heart as well, you can see fibrin, which is a component of clotting. Um, and then you can also see changes in other parts of the body. Uh, there have been cases of uh, encephalitis, which is inflammation of the brain, and cases of uh, uh, myocarditis, which is inflammation of the heart, uh, leading to uh, something like tamponade, which is when the heart ruptures. The muscle uh, tears open and blood comes out of the heart into the sac around the heart. And that was what was the key finding in the case in Santa Clara, the one that was the first case at least the first known documented death case in the United States to date. That might change with time as we look back, but that was the autopsy report that I reviewed. Not all bodies end up in the coroner's office, though, something I learned while talking to Dr. Melanek. But with COVID-19, where bodies end up can be a little more complicated. So what's the system now? 
Uh, first of all, when the, there's a body uh, in a house that has a diagnosis and a doctor who, who cared for that patient is willing to sign the death certificate, yes, they can go straight to a funeral home from the house if there's a funeral home that's willing to accept them. If a funeral home is not willing to accept them, then they would come to our office, but they would only be held until the family could make arrangements or there was a funeral home that could re receive the body. Um, in cases where they die in a hospital, uh, hospitals have morgues um, and they also have overflow facilities like refrigerated trailers that they can set up so they can manage the bodies uh, until the funeral homes are available to take them. This knowledge sent me on another quest, which led me to Dr. David Pinnipin, Director of the Funeral Service Administration Program at the State University of New York in Canton. When I called him for this interview, he was on his way to a funeral home. Later, he'll talk about the reason why. I did want to know, though, what training do funeral directors receive to deal with the massive death tolls some areas are seeing right now? Absolutely none. Like, uh, this caught funeral homes totally off guard because funeral directors are not trained how they handle mass mortality. So what do funeral homes do when they're faced with an overwhelming number of COVID-19 victims and others, and it just isn't possible to care for every person's remains? Well, some, uh, some funeral directors go to their capacity and stop. Some funeral directors take beyond their capacity and create a bigger problem, a health hazard in the funeral home, and others just run away from it. So there's there's multiple, multiple ways that the funeral director is dealing with it. And um, it's, it's very, very difficult for a lot of the grieving families because when they call most funeral homes, they either don't answer the phone or when they answer the phone, the funeral director says, I'm sorry, but I don't have the ability to assist you with your loved one. Um, or some funeral directors just hang up on the families. So the families are suffering not only, and not only um, because they lost their loved one to the COVID-19 virus, but then they don't have any place to go to um, have their loved one's remains uh, taken care of in a respectful and dignified manner. Two weeks ago, I had a uh, family email me, and they said, please help us. They said, um, my sister-in-law died, and uh, and she died in, 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 a, in a nursing home, and no funeral director in New York City will take on her remains. So I had a friend down in New York City, and I had him, I had uh, the family go to their local funeral home in upstate New York, and I arranged with my friend down in the city to pick up her, uh, their loved one, and, uh, and uh, I personally took that, um, that woman to uh, her place of rest, which was a crematory in upstate New York. And... Um, that grieving family was able to begin the grieving process uh, after I did what I did to ensure that their loved one was laid to rest. And uh, if, if I would have asked for a million dollars, they would have wrote me a check. But the only thing that uh, I uh, found as the biggest reward for 
doing what I do as a funeral director is knowing that I help take the death event and help people connect to their own grieving experience. And that within itself is payment enough. New York is having an especially big problem with this. The death toll is so overwhelming that hospital morgues have brought in refrigerated trucks to store bodies and on Hart Island, a burial ground for unknown, unclaimed, or indigent people, trenches are being dug to temporarily hold the bodies of COVID-19 victims. Why is this happening? That's the, that's the problem that's in the city of New York. Um, roughly 20,000 people died from the COVID virus in the city of New York. I estimate anywhere between 10 and 12,000 human remains need to be cremated. So here's the problem. Here's the problem. You have 48 crematories in New York State. We are the largest, one of the largest states in the union with the most densely populated uh, city. And we only have 48 crematories, five of which are in the New York City metropolitan area. And you can't possibly cremate that many human remains with a limited amount of of, uh, crematories. So because of this moratorium that the Division of Cemeteries has created some 15, 16 years ago, there's no more crematories being built and you get a pandemic and all of a sudden you can't handle the amount of bodies that need to be cremated. So... So ultimately, you try to take them elsewhere, upstate, and then you got people running to the upstate crematories with human remains, and you're starting to create the same backlog that you created uh, in the metropolitan area in upstate New York, because there's no system in place that methodically handles the distribution of human remains in a sequential manner. And therefore, it's getting backlogged in upstate New York next. And you just can't run a crematory 24-7 because you need cool-down time or you'll burn them down. So it's it's a big problem. Public officials don't understand the problem. And as a result of that, the the problem is, is, is going, is getting worse and worse and worse um, as the days go on. There's hope, though. First, New York's rapid response to COVID-19 has had good results. The daily death toll seems to be decreasing now. And second, Dr. Penipin and his mortuary students are on a mission. Operation Hands with a Heart is an initiative that I started with my mortuary science students. We go down into the city and we pull um, from various funeral homes. Um, they're their uh, load of uh, human remains. And we take those to various crematories in upstate New York, Vermont, Connecticut, and Pennsylvania. We help uh, distribute those, uh, uh, those human remains to these crematories so that the family can bring closure to their, uh, their loved one's death. So uh, it's, it's kind of a voluntary effort that, uh, that we started and to date in excess of 740 uh, human remains have been uh, cremated and returned back to their families. It's a valiant effort and it's making a difference, especially to those 740 families. 
Thank you for listening. I'll be back with more soon. Pandemic COVID-19 is a podcast hosted by me, Maxfield Rivers. I'm also the researcher and producer. I'd like to give special thanks to Dr. Judy Melanek and Dr. David Pinnapent for speaking to me on this episode. I'd like to thank you for listening and ask that you leave a review or comment and share this podcast with your friends. Finally, stay home if you can and stay safe.